Chris, you ready? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be calling on you for a lot of impromptu speeches on certain topics. Okay. Oh, gosh. Here You're we go. listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Okay, let's do this for real now. You want me to do it? Yep. Let's do it. You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my new full-time co-host. This is not to remove Adam Hawkins. He'll be back after sabbatical. But the great news is Elizabeth Woodson is joining the show full-time. Elizabeth, how are you doing this morning? I am great. Well, I hope that joining Culture Matters has improved your life. I mean, and not a hundredfold. A hundredfold. A hundredfold. Oh, man. <laughs> David, you are here today, too. David Roark, producer of the show. How are you doing today, David? Doing pretty well, man. Good. Doing pretty well. Good. Glad to see you. Glad to see you, too. And the ever-talkative, always opinionated mm-hmm. man with the thoughts, mm-hmm. Chris out. Starrett. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. Wow. Thanks for being excited. The energy's overwhelming. (laughs) Chris, I am glad you're here. Chris is going to have a lot of thoughts on today's show. We're doing a cultural roundup. Today, we're going to talk about the person of the year. We're going to talk about the president of the United States of America. And we're going to talk about what your teenagers are talking about. This is going to be a great episode, so stay tuned. All right, Elizabeth Woodson, I want to start with you on what's going on in the world today. Uh, The day that we're recording this episode, this week they have announced the person of the year. This is somebody that Time Magazine, in their arrogance, takes it upon them to say, (laughs) hey world, this is the most important person ever, or the most important person in 2019 at least. And uh, that person this year is younger, maybe youngest ever, I'm not really sure, but a very young person. Can you fill us in, Elizabeth? Yeah, it is a 16-year-old youth activist from Sweden named Greta Thunberg. Greta, if we got your name wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, call in, Greta. Go Greta, ahead, call us. us She's going to be let real us know. mad. <laughs> We've seen how fiery she can get. Right. She's listening. And so starting in August 2018, she started striking from school um, out in front of the Swedish parliament to talk about climate issues. Um, and it just has ballooned into a worldwide, in some sense, phenomenon and movement. And I think what's really cool is that youth from all across the world are using their influence and power to be able to speak against what's happening in our environment across the world. It's called School Strike for Climate. And so I love Greta because she has no regard. She's 16 year old, 16 years old, has Asperger's. That's right, David? Yep. Yeah. And so she has no concern for celebrity, no concern for fame. And so when she's giving her speeches, she is just shooting it with fire. So I want to read off some of these quotes um, from speeches she's given and to the world leaders at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland in January. She told them, I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. And so she doesn't necessarily have this magic solution for climate change, but wants to bring an awareness of what's happening in our world and is using youth all across the world to be able to do that. Okay. And you find that admirable because of the way she's going about it, of the topic that she's tackling. What what about it do you love about Greta? I mean, I think that she is she's passionate about something and she sees a problem I think we all see. I think we can all admit something's happening with the environment in our world that's not going in the right direction. Um, and she's using her voice as a teenage girl. Man, she's out there 
um, women being able to change the world. Y'all know that I would always be a fan for that. Yeah, amen. And it is empowering other people to do the same. Yeah. And so I think it's just a, the cultural moment. And so she's just catching wind in a really special way. But to me, seeing a youth stand up and say, hey, there's something wrong about the world we live in and we needed to change it. And taking that to leaders all across the world to be able to say that. And then so you have it, um, youth activism in all different areas of like whether it's gun violence, whether it is education, just youth using their voices to change the world that they live in. So that's to me what's admirable about yeah. Greta. No, and I think I'm on the same page in terms of believing she's admirable, being inspired by her, seeing what she's doing. And um, yeah, it, it is inspiring. And when I hear her talk, it's moving. Like she's she's really good at what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm hopeful that she can wake us up to some degree in regard to what's going on with our climate, because I do believe something's going on there. Do we know definitively what the implications are, how to solve it, all those things, maybe not. And um, that's okay. But I think that we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. The The only concern that I've had in all of this is that like, she is truly in that kind of came up in what you just read, Elizabeth. She's truly motivated by fear. Yeah. And there's a degree to which I feel bad for her. Mm-hmm. Like I, I worry about her because she is 100% convinced that, the world is going to end. Like if we don't do something about it, that, and I don't know what she claims, but you know, she believes that things will melt, ice caps will melt and it'll be the end of the world as we know it to quote some REM. Um, water world. <laughs> water world. world. To quote what, some Kevin yeah, Costner. It'll be like Kevin water world. Yeah. Kevin Costner will be there. Uh, <laughs> it'll be way too long. But it, we'll grow gills. He was part, I was going to say, he was oh, part fish, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, so, That doesn't discount, I think, (laughs) what, I mean, that doesn't discount what I think she's done and how important she is. I I don't know how I feel about her being person of the year that just happened, and I don't really haven't, like, processed who else would have been worthy of that award. I can't think of a lot of people in 2019, (laughs) which is sad. Uh, I nominated you. Well, that was kind of you, Chris. That's good. Well, in that case, maybe I don't feel good about her being person of the year. There are other good candidates out there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there are other really good candidates. But that yeah, that's just one like concern I have. And I know that the the right has really kind of rallied against Greta because right? and I think part of that's political because you see where they fall in this issue. They tend to have a different opinion about um climate change. But yeah, there are arguments on social media that people believe that are accusing her parents of child abuse because mm. they believe she they've brainwashed her into believing that the world is going to end. Mm. And they think that that's unfair for a girl of her age or a child of her age to wake up and believe that's a reality when we don't know for a fact that that's a reality. So that's an interesting, I certainly would not go that far to accuse her parents of that. That seems a bit much, a bit extreme, but I do understand the concern of like, she's living her life under a reality that's not necessarily rooted in something we know for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I think is fascinating about the time that we live in, I think in in years past, and let's say decades past, far, far past, uh, TV shows, culture would have been a lot about moral choices concerning relationships, behavior. Nowadays, the hot button issues, even for kids, are things like nutrition, bullying, and the environment. And so you're seeing kids uh, not only equipped maybe in this world, but this is the villain that they've grown up with, Mm -hmm. is the future of the planet, 
is sugar is a mm-hmm. villain. Like you, there's a lot of shows that talk about for kids about how uh, sugar is bad, and then bullying. Like it's a lot against bullying, and so and at the same time, there's a lot more moral ambiguity that's put in there as far as the choices you make and as a person in, in relationship or in as a as a as a worker or even uh, the the story that the narrative we want kids to believe is that your life has meaning and so if you have a meaningless job then you're not living a meaningful life and it's really interesting to me the current narratives and it makes total sense to me that in this day and age 2019 who would become prominent but a kid who really cares about the environment who's panicked about the future because that's the narrative we do peddle to a younger generation mm-hmm. is that it's the environment is very very important and I'm not saying I'm not saying we shouldn't or that nutrition is super, super important. And so the Netflix documentaries cause panic for people about whether we should be eating only meat or never meat, or whether we should be eating, uh, having reasonable amounts of corn syrup or never eating corn syrup. And these are the villains of our day and age, is uh, overproduced food, is uh, burning rainforests, and so, uh, or even driving a car over a long distance. So to mm-hmm. me, it makes total sense that a young person would be advocating for this because that's the training and narrative that they've grown up in. I hear what you're saying about panic. That's fascinating to me too. I hadn't thought much about mm-hmm. fear being the driving force of why she is prominent and why her speeches right. carry such vigor is there is, it is really driven by fear. Chris, what do you say oh like in, in the midst of an environment where <laughs> look around and go, hey, the most important person of the year is a little girl who decided to skip school until somebody changed the world. Does that make yeah, a lot of sense? I mean, to you? there's something that's like obviously inspiring about seeing someone young who's passionate about something that uh, is trying to influence change at that age, you know. And there's something about that that's really cool to see. Um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about her speech. I've heard snippets of it. I've mainly seen her as memes. Uh, but what what kind of memes are you seeing, Chris? Mad face, yeah, Greta. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> <clears throat> exactly. Um, but, uh, I think the part along the lines of what David was saying, I I don't know, there's part of it that just feels like people are using her as Mm. a way to push their political views or their agenda or whatever. And that just feels like gross to me. So here's what's interesting to me on that is in the past, there were arguments about, uh, that when it came to sexism, it was like, well, these women, they shouldn't be allowed to vote because they'll just be manipulated by men. Mm-hmm. And then there was arguments about that when it came to race. Well, these races of people shouldn't be allowed to vote because they're not educated and therefore they'll just be manipulated by somebody else. And yet in today's day and age, it's still popular to think that way about young people. We would say, well, these young people, they shouldn't be, there's no way a 16-year-old would be the expert, right? There's no way a 16-year-old should be trusted on such a large issue. But is it a bias in me to assume that because she is 16, therefore she must be manipulated by her environment to believe and say the things she's saying, or could she just be a powerful, independent young woman who really believes these things? And I think that is a question that's hard for me to come to grips with, but it also reveals a bias in me about what I think 16-year-old girls should could be doing or what they're thinking, and I really need to address that in my own heart too. I mean, I think if you think about the movements in our world um, that have may change on issues, a lot of times it is youth who are the catalyst for some of those conversations. And so the ability for, because I think, how do you bring awareness for an issue? And so she is sitting in fear, kind of a conversation of, hey, this is going to get really bad if you don't do something. Um, And not the narrative of hope that we have with the biblical worldview. But what message do we use to wake people up? 
Good. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we as Christians, I think if we think about Greta's message and then the message we would have, how do we wake people up to the truth of what's happening in our world and the responsibility we have to care for creation? Um, and then what power or wisdom does God implant in youth to be able to just disrupt? I think as adults, we get into rhythms and youth are good for disrupting things and disrupting the status quo. I think what you're bringing up is exactly where we need to go, which is that uh, our eschatology and Greta's eschatology may be different about how we think the world is going to end. It does not negate what Christians should believe about stewardship of creation, but at the same time, we don't believe the world ends outside of God's control. Mm -hmm. It does not, however, mean that Christians should um, abuse the world, hoping that that's going to bring God back sooner if we just don't pick up our trash or if we just burn things. But David, how does this, how does our theology of the end of the world disconnect or connect with where Greta is trying to take uh, the UN or trying to take people? You might be asking the wrong person <laughs> this question. But yeah, I mean, we've already said it to some degree that I think that our theology, um, our eschatology in particular, is one of hope that we don't look to the future and think everything's going to get worse or that the world's going to be destroyed and there's no life beyond this one, you know, for our children and generations to come. But we know that God is remaking the world. So it's a very different narrative. And I think the the difference in caring about the environment for the Christian is it, the motivation is really different. We care because we believe there's a creator. Yeah. And that creator has uh, given us stewardship of his creation as being created in his image. And we... We want to glorify him. We want to steward this creation well because it's his and it has beauty and it um, has a part of him in it because he is the creator of it. And that's what I think should motivate us. It's not, we're not motivated by fear. Um, And I think that that's the big difference. On the flip side of that, though, as we were talking about this, the thing that I think is really fascinating about Greta, I was having a conversation with a, a guy I work with. So I work for a pro life organization and we're always thinking about how do you, this very topic, how can you get the issue of abortion to have this same sense of urgency? Mm-hmm. And that that's a fascinating aspect of this is like why some of the issues that we would argue are more important probably than the environment. If you're, if we're really trying to categorize ones that maybe involve humans, you know, mm-hmm. if we're talking about racial justice, if we're talking about abortion, if we're talking about um, just evangelism, <laughs> people who we don't believe know the Lord, we don't have this urgency that she does, which is on, is very convicting to me. Um, and it's like, you know, it makes me wonder, why can't we have someone like Greta speak on behalf of issues that we would want to, to be put up and seen as important? But I don't know. It's, I think it's because we don't have the same sense of urgency. We don't have people like Greta who think that life depends on it. And, that's a great point. Um, and that's kind of sad, honestly. And yeah. So there's something great to, to learn from her. And in I'll that. tell you, it's hard for me to listen to a preacher who is motivated by panic, fear, the sky is falling, and believe that person and say, that's what's firing me up for why I follow Jesus Christ. Because I am not motivated by intimidation of the God I follow, but I'm motivated by the grace that he's afforded me and the urgency that I have for those who don't know him is not out of panic and fear for them. It's out of love for my Savior. I think what you said is 
really interesting about um, if your motivation for taking care of the environment is self-service, it's we take care of it because it's good for people. Self-preservation. Yeah. Self-preservation, or if it's or if the reason we um, abuse the environment is for because I, it will make more money for me or take care of me. If the motivation for both is the same, both are probably far removed from what the believer would actually navigate. Now, I think these topics you guys brought up in connection with this, we could talk about a lot longer, but I want to shift us into our next topic, because one of the things, other than the time, person, the year, and the environment that is front page news every day right now in America is the impeachment process for Donald Trump. And so the impeachment process for Donald Trump, if you haven't seen it, uh, all you have to do is open up CNN.com or FoxNews.com or USAToday.com, wherever, just or your Facebook. Eyes. Just open your open eyes. Open your <laughs> eyes, yes. It, you I will see not it see it. David, can you kind of <laughs> tell us a little about what's going on in the impeachment? Yeah, I can do the the very high level elevator pitch. Um, as we know, I feel like for the mom- from the moment that Donald Trump was elected as president, impeachment became a conversation um, in terms of like uh, people who believed that you know he he used Russians and foreign you know uh, countries Powers. and things like that to interfere with the election. That was a topic early, early on, and so that's just been an ongoing thing during his whole presidency. And now we've gotten to the point where that's pushed itself to an actual impeachment trial that's happening right now. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would say the thing that really uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, would be the fact that um, people believe that he threatened a foreign country and withheld money um, unless they were to help him find some dirt on um, Joe Biden's son. That that right. wasn't that sort of the yeah, issue. Yeah, that the, kind the two of, yeah. main things that they would be filing for impeachment would be abuse of power uh, and then obstruction of justice are the two. Yeah. yeah. So those are the the things that are on trial right now. And and uh, I assume knowing Donald Trump that he's been like, oh, you guys found me, you busted me. <laughs> you know what? This is gonna be really gracious. Yeah. He's handling he's handling it in stride. Yeah. Un- okay. Undoubtedly. <laughs> what kind of stride is that? <laughs> <laughs> His own stride, (laughs) probably swag, Uh, swagger, swagger, Um, not swag. Uh, But and so now it's currently, you know, there's a trial going on in the House, and there would have to be a majority vote to impeach him. Mm -hmm. And even if he were to be impeached, that would then move to the Senate, and there would have to be a two-thirds vote for him to be removed from office. So I think you look at it, and it's very unlikely. One, it's very unlikely that he'll be impeached because of the majority vote. I think that Republicans are looking ahead to the 2020 election and just thinking there's no way that we could turn on our guy because this means if we don't have our guy, if you will, then we're not going to win the 2020 election. But if somehow that were to happen, I, I, at the same time with uh, the Senate being you know, controlled by Republicans, I definitely don't think he would be removed. Um, that seems pretty clear to me. So right. are you saying that there are politicians actively working at something every day that may end up for not except for public scrutiny and public attention. Yeah. Are you saying that that's possible in today's America? It's very possible and oh. and very likely. It's a, I think, what did you call it earlier? It's just a drama or it's just a... It's just a political show. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. It's just uh, Democrats particularly just trying to make a statement of like, hey, listen, we tried to get this guy out of office uh, and and essentially make it to where he wasn't a potential candidate. And, you know, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it feels like a political move more than anything that I, I think the Democrats know that there's no way he would be 
voted out of office, but uh, voted out of office within the Senate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Elizabeth, you know a little bit more about the history of impeachment than I do. Is there <laughs> anything here that looks like history repeating itself to you? Or is there anything here that's like, man, this is a new America that we're living in? I mean, I think it usually reminds me of Bill Clinton because I grew up during that era. And so I remember when he was going through the same process and yeah. didn't pass in the House, I mean, in the Senate. So he stayed in office. I remember Nixon um, and he just resigned um, yeah. before the whole process happened. And so it just, we have a president who has done some things that require accountability. And so the greater question for me is what does it look like for us as Christians to engage in that conversation? Because we were engaged in the conversation about Trump from the very beginning, talking a lot about his faith. Mm. And so it is, it's that there's something going on. And so what does it mean for us, again, with the biblical worldview, to engage in the conversation, to steward our people as they are reading through their newspapers and their Twitter threads about the impeachment process? How do we handle this? Um, Because to me, I'll sit here by myself, that it's clear that there are things that have happened that require accountability. I think the Democrats being able to say, we have to be able to say something and do something um, for someone we think needs to be held responsible for activities that may not be becoming of a president. Mm -hmm. Um, But where do we fall into that conversation as Christians because we cannot just disappear from culture? Well, yeah, and I think what you see Uh happening is that so many Christians, um, they hitch their wagon to Donald Trump. And, uh, and they pledge their allegiance to that party, to that man. And the problem with that <laughs> is that you get in a situation like you're in now, and yeah. what do you do? Um, and I think you have to be, we have to be people of integrity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if what we see is corruption, if we see what we see is injustice, we have to be willing to call that what it is and obey the laws of our lands yeah. and um, say those things. But I think that it just, but if you're so, if you're so attached to this candidate by now, that becomes really hard. And then you start to see people who are wanting to justify his actions or they don't even try to justify it. They're like, but they'll, they'll talk about Bill Clinton again. They're like, but look what Bill Clinton did, you know, like, and I'm like, that's not even the conversation right now. So I, I think that's, um, uh, one of the bigger just talking points there is just that like this is just showing um, the result <laughs> of what happens when you pledge your allegiance not to Christ as king, but as, you know, a Republican. Or but I think there's something you're saying right there, even as king, something in my mind, we say, I pledge allegiance to what? The flag, right? We pledge allegiance to the nation. Are we Americans first or are we Republicans and Democrats first? And I think the interesting thing about the time we live in, and this is maybe- Christians first, right? Are we Christians first, right? <laughs> I'm saying first overall, but I'm saying in this yeah. process. Okay. If we are all, if we're Americans looking at our president or looking at our political situation, instead of thinking about which team are we on within America, don't we have a little bit, maybe different approach than just saying, hey, should this- Maybe we'd be dispassionately saying, should a president do this or, or shouldn't he? Should he repent and, and should he apologize or, or should he be left alone? And instead, it's like we immediately arrange along party lines in my mind of like, you've got Republicans, Democrats, and independents. And, and if, 
if you're a Republican, then you should not want the president to be impeached. And if you're a Democrat, you desperately want him to be impeached. And if independent, you're just going to passively watch what's happening. And we arrange along those teams. And the reason we can sit in this room and be confident he won't be impeached is why? Because of the positions that his team currently holds in the House and the Senate. And as long as they hold those positions, then it won't happen. But if the other team had a little bit more, then it would then it would lean the other way. And we'd already know. Because why? Because their team is there. So we assume what they believe. Instead of maybe in a less biased, uh, less um, polarized version of us, we got to look at the situation in a godly manner and say, well, regardless of whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat, can I look at what Donald Trump did and say, one, is it worthy of impeachment? Did he break some laws that would uh, disqualify him from the presidency? Two, is it something he should not have done and should apologize for? And it doesn't matter if it makes him look weak or whether it would affect his candidacy. This is what a man should do in that situation. And then three, do we trust him going forward? And all the questions become, I think, a little bit more reasonable, like I would hope in any church or any organization when it comes to leadership, that you wouldn't already assume this is the way we're going to back this guy no matter what, even if he did something wrong because I'm on his team, or that we're against this guy no matter what, no matter what he said, whether it requires uh, dire consequences or not. Why? Because we're on the opposite team. You understand what I'm saying? This is what yeah. drives me nuts about politics. Do you think that the question of allegiance, though, is the result of politicians trying to represent what we as the people have said, this is what we want? Or do you feel like we as Americans have been backed into a corner essentially by politicians saying like, hey, it's either this way or this way and there's no middle ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you look at like the last, essentially the last six presidents, somebody has brought up, hey, we need to impeach this guy. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't care who the people voted for. It's either we do it my way or we do it the other person's way and there's no middle ground. So I think there's a lot of people, if we had a more functional democratic system, system, they'd be like, yeah, I think, maybe we should consider impeaching this guy. This guy potentially broke the law, yep. you know? But it's like, okay, well, if I am willing to support potentially impeaching this guy that maybe broke the law, it means everything else that I care about is out the window, you know? I don't know. Well, I, I do think that's one of the interesting points is whether politicians have driven this in their drive for uh, party power or for personal uh, position that they have to maintain and hold the party line. And so that puts America in a certain position, or do they feel like they're really representing politics as downstream from culture because we voted for this, right. because your constituents want this, this is what you want. I mean, I think it's the narratives that keep us in our corners. You know, I think if they're, cause I, I would say that, you know, this idea that politicians further a narrative about what we want um, and that the other side is not going to provide that for you or the other side is this kind of person. And so it's this polar opposites. And it just is sometimes, I think, especially for Christians, that we can't call a thing a thing. Like we can't stand for integrity or truth, whoever the politician is. There are narratives that we don't want to admit to that we are holding on that have nothing to do with Jesus, but yeah. have more to do with the history of our country and some That's of the good. darker things that we just hold on to. And so because I would love to be in a country where Christians are known for engaging in the political sphere. And if something's right, we're going to stand behind it. And if something's wrong, 
we're not, regardless of whoever is attached Amen. to you. Well, and it goes, and that goes back to what we were saying, even about Greta motivation. And I think it it's because Christians are still motivated. I, I know, I know, I hit this one a lot, but Christians are motivated by fear and not by faith because they will convince themselves, for better or worse, that a particular candidate or party is going to help them accomplish the issues that they believe are important to the Lord. But when that politician or party does something corrupt, um, there becomes a question of integrity. And because they're fearful that, man, if I if I turn on this person because of what they've done is wrong, or if I don't support this person because I think that they have bad character, um, or they do other things that are contrary to the gospel, then my issues are not going to be solved. As if God didn't... <laughs> know how this thing was going to end as if God didn't have this figured out as if we live by fear and not faith of like how the story is going to end. So I, it's just the world um, and its trajectory is not dependent on impeachment, Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, one way or another. And I think that it's, it, it's, it's for me comes back to that, that motivation. And I just think that we're so motivated by fear that that's why we make these decisions and we make decisions that are against our own consciences, you know, that are against our own beliefs because we're so fearful of what is going to happen. But I think God is going to honor integrity, character, saying, doing the right thing, even if it feels like our issues could be threatened, you know, that's good. All right, last topic of the day, and I have been pushing for this for a while, David. I really want to talk about this. And finally, there was a, an article this week that really gave me an opportunity. So thanks, David, for giving me permission. I just don't want us to embarrass ourselves. Well, I want Too to embarrass late. myself. I want to talk about culture. And you know what happens in our culture? People make up words, or words become prominent, or huh. the ways of talking are influenced by different different groups of people. And uh, the reason I want to talk about this this week, uh, there's um, an online news organization called theweek.com. They had an article this week called A Parent's Guide to Teen Slang. And I find this topic very interesting. One, because I'm now 40 years old or almost 40 years old. So I get the chance of being the curmudgeon now saying in my day, and you know what drives me nuts about what kids have to say is X, Y, and Z. But I want to talk about this for a second. Uh, Elizabeth, can you think of any, uh, what are some slang words that you grew up with that you feel like people don't say anymore? The bomb. The bomb. Oh, yeah, the bomb. You are, that is the still bomb. Mine. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, but I think you have another good one. All that. Samesies. Samesies? <laughs> what does samesies mean for the young and uninitiated? Well, that's not from when I was young. That's <laughs> like from the, like, what, three like, or four uh, years ditto. ago? It's kind of yeah. like ditto. Yeah. Like, like from I the agree. movie Ghost. And you got to say it that way, though. You gotta say same Z. Same Z. Okay. What about um, cool See, we've beans? Embarrassed ourselves. Do people say cool, cool beans? Yeah, I used to yeah. say that. Do yeah, people still say that? say that? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. It, I mean, had a, it had a little bit of a reboot with the movie Hot Rod. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool, cool, great. Cool, cool, cool beans. Cool beans. Cool bean, yeah. beans. Yep. <laughs> I like that movie, actually. Uh, but today, uh, today, there's obviously, like always, there's new slang. And new slang gets old. Some of it gets old super fast. And so it seems very uh, out of place for a man my age to be saying. Uh, any slang words, but there's a bunch of new slang. I also, speaking of the way you say samesies, there's some some ways that people talk that really drive me nuts that people didn't used to talk like. Like, uh, you know, it's really popular now is vocal fry. You know what vocal fry is, David? Absolutely not. Okay, so vocal fry is when people extend a vowel sound and then they fry it. So it'd be like, hello, 
Hi. You mean like how Britney Spears sings? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, Chris. It's very, yeah, it's very popular here like, all the time, and it drives me nuts. Or Upspeak. Do you know what Upspeak is, David? <laughs> nope, but good <laughs> guess. <laughs> That's oh, where you wow. end everything. You end everything up. Everything yeah. sounds like a question. So if you were That's to ask me, I was trying to do. You would say like, That's "Hey, trying to Adam, do. how was your morning?" And I'd say, "I had a long drive. It was mm-hmm. pretty good." It's like California. And it's like, are you asking or are you like telling me? It California just, girl. Yes. Yeah. 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 It or the sounds, Californians okay. from Saturday. But this Night is the Life. thing: yeah. to somebody old like me, it sounds uneducated or foolish. But to somebody young, it's like this is this is the way they talk, mm-hmm. and it's very normal. And they wouldn't think anything of it, and they love it. <laughs> you know, it's all stuff like that. It honestly, it just it it gets on my nerves, and I don't know why. I know I'm getting old, but then there's words that people use that I have no idea. Like y- your friend, who we Emily. just talked to, Emily. What is an example that she gave us? She I, said, "Nice fit." And what does "nice fit" mean? Does that mean like, I'm like, I like your outfit? I like nice fit. Nice fit. Yeah. Nice fit. See, totally, I don't yeah. think I've or ever fire. Heard. People use fire a lot. That's fire. What do they mean by that's fire? I, I don't know exactly. It's great. It's I like, use that word. A... I've used that word for years. People are yeah. snatching words. You, you might have started people it. People are snatching words. I started, I started <laughs> fire. <clears throat> yeah, people say you fire You should get a lot. person of the year. It's a good... <laughs> The girl who started That's Fire, yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Woodson. 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 Person of the year. You know who's fire? Elizabeth Woodson is fire. <laughs> Show is. Some things, <laughs> other things people I hear a lot is people will say, I had all the feels, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it, it was all the things, or that person is a lot, or that person is basic. Uh, I basic. Get, um, mm. you hear Normally on Instagram yeah. posts about my daughter, yeah. I'll get, she's living her best life. And I'm like, people yeah. will say that she's living her only life, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I YOLO. Remember when people would say YOLO? That's yeah. not a thing anymore. Uh, or Except for that, I'm living that way. But are you living your best life now? <laughs> or you're living YOLO? YOLO. You I, only I live once. Know. I don't know. It is a That's true funny. fact, though. That is true. I mean, it's not a false statement. Chelsea, my wife instructed me on keeping it 100, which she said has been around for years, and yeah. I swear it missed me. Yeah, I didn't know. You were only keeping it 98. Apparently. Now, at now my slang is at 100. Yeah, I think it's interesting yeah. where slang words originate. Yes. Because I think there are a lot of words in Ebonics, which is an African-American dialogue that I think is fascinating because yes. it changes and there is no dictionary for it. <laughs> but there are words that show up that African-Americans have used for years and then like popular um, culture all popular culture will just pop up with it like this is brand new i was like no we were using that like that's 50 years ago <laughs> well it's so. interesting just like in the time that we live where like a slang word like that somebody will grab a hold of it it becomes a meme or something like that and then all of yep. a sudden white people are using it yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah and I feel, maybe i'm wrong but i feel like that's more and more and maybe yeah. and there's mm-hmm. also that has maybe something to do with the sort of blend of hip-hop and yeah. pop music too yeah uh-huh. Yeah, they're kind of one and the same these mm-hmm. days. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. I remember when album is dropping was like only people in the black community said that. Now it's common nomenclature. You have an album dropping. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, like your album, your album's coming out. Their album is dropping, you know. But, <laughs> uh, but I think of too, like some dangerous ones I hear is living your truth, which is not unlike yeah. living your best life. People yeah. say, well, uh-huh. they're just living their truth, which is such a, it makes total sense in our culture that that would be slang. I found out I was not living my truth, and now I am living my truth. Mm-hmm. Check your privilege. Check your oh, what's that one? Check your privilege. Uh, I don't. How would you describe that one? I, it's like I mean, uh, I think it's when you're saying something that's 
pushing the lines of being like first world first world problems, problems white people problems white yeah. privilege male privilege uh-huh. yeah 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 I feel like it's those conversations along the lines i'm always not trying to interrupt what you're saying yeah. no it's i like, like if you say something of... unwoke someone might say check your privilege right okay right. woke would be another one mm-hmm. yeah woke is is a great example of slang that i think as our culture evolves or as our culture changes and you see different things become important you also see slang change around it things that have always been important are like romantic relationships there will always be slang around how to say someone is attractive when i was growing up you would say things like that girl is fine i don't think they say things like that anymore i don't know i'm not a teenager i don't think i want to try and guess what they're saying now (laughs) (laughs) now i feel like there's so much more and in this article of the week at the week it's more of it is like acronyms because it's so much more text language instagram language so it's a lot of summarizing things in only a few letters that if you're not on the inside, you wouldn't know what it meant. I could see somebody commented on somebody's picture, and if I had a teenage daughter or a teenage son, I may have no clue what they're talking about. And so the week was trying to unpack, hey, parents, for you who may not know what this means, here's what it means. And I do think that's important for parents to keep up on with, with uh, what teenagers maybe are saying or how they're talking, not because we want to imitate them, but because we want to be able to understand what's happening. Yeah, Totally. Uh, in Christian world, too, we have Christian language. What would be an example of uh, slang that you feel like you only hear inside the church? I was actually telling David this the other, or earlier this morning, when people say redeem, like, I'm going to, you need to redeem that time. <laughs> yes. You know, what does that mean? I, One I of our sponsor ads. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Ugh, I guess we'll have to cut that one. No, that's great. Keep going. But yeah, it's just like, what does that even mean when it's like, hey, if you want to redeem that time where you're driving home. Buy like, that time back. I'm like, I don't, do I need to redeem that time? I'm just driving home, guys. (laughs) Use the time. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What would be another example? David, Christian slang? Yeah, I mean, seasons. I'm I'm, I'm in this season, you know? Yeah, it was a season of my life. I mean, I find myself saying that word so much, (laughs) so much. Um, And in different ways, too, like church calendar seasons, Mm -hmm. my own season of life. Yeah. yeah, all the seasons. I, I can think. echo that. I can echo that, David. Mm. I echo that. Echo. I think even like maybe more on a more serious note of just like uh, it can be a, a part of the vocabulary to say, oh, I'll be praying for you when it's like, oh, I'm not ever no. intending to pray for you. You just and say I like, I, I feel. That's true. Yeah, I feel for you. I feel for you. my way. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever, Elizabeth, do you ever hear people say, we're doing life together or you need to do life with people? That literally was the mission statement of a ministry I led like oh, three really? years ago. We do life together <laughs> that I created. So yeah. Oh, um, what did that mean? <laughs> what did it mean? <laughs> wow. Hey, unintentionally. I'm, unintentionally. You, yeah. We're in community together, which yeah. I feel like is... Well, isn't that a Bonhoeffer quote? Life, in, life, life together? together? Life together. Yeah. There's a book called Life Together, but maybe in German it says do life, and then they translate it into <laughs> English. <laughs> we're just doing life. Uh, uh, you're very secular. You're very or, secular. She's secular. That's secular. I don't know. That's probably not as common anymore. One of my favorite things, and this is more like a common trend in churches, is you'll see preachers often do this where they list out, they'll make a list of possible positions you might be in as you come in. Hey, if you're here this morning 
and you're having a great week, or maybe this has been a sad week for you, or maybe somebody passed away, or maybe your baby was born, or maybe it's, these lists go on and on. My wife and I always make fun of them. Like, if you're here this morning and you're in jeans, and you're here this morning <laughs> and you're wearing a hat, this is for, this gospel is for you today. You're here today and you have a job that works at day, or you work nights, or you, it, they just endless. And you'll see it all the time is these preachers just like, let me list all the possibilities that might be your reality, and then I'll make a point that hits home with everyone. And stuff like that drives me nuts now because I, I see it and I hear it. But I do think there's there's some value to Christian slang. David, you've written on this some, you've talked about this before. Is there any purpose to having internal language that would be redeemable? Yeah, I think that, um, I don't even know if I would call it Christian slang because that probably would be the Christian language that's unhelpful. And it's like words we've made up that don't make any sense to anyone. But uh, the flip side of it, yes, is that there are words and language that we will use in our churches and when we interact with one another that is going to feel different, look different than that of other culture. And I don't think that Christians should be apologetic about that or try to change like the way we speak to like water down um, Christian language that's rooted in our tradition. So I would say that good Christianese, that's the right word, I guess, it would be Christianese that's like biblical words, biblical ideas, and we shouldn't have any, shouldn't be ashamed of that. And I think that that's what makes us distinct as Christians. I think that that's what separates us from the world in some sense is like, because the way we speak is a part of who we are, you know, it's our identity. And I think that we would want that to be different and distinct. And that's a part of what uh, can help us be salt. Um, But that, is that another Christianese word, by the yeah, way? Yeah, it well, is. Or how about this? Will you please unpack that, David? Can you yeah, I can that unpack that. Um, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Are you is tracking that what you're saying? saying? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, I think there's there's a reason, uh, maybe not a uh, overt, explicit reason why we would say, let's create some internal language. I do think uh, there has been a reaction against anything internal and unfamiliar to try to uh, appeal to the seeker, to the person who's new. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having language you learn the longer you're part of kind of a, a tribe, for lack of a better word. That There are some words we use when we're talking about uh, your testimony, uh, how the Lord has redeemed you. There's words like that, or uh, being washed in the blood of the Lamb, is biblical language that doesn't make sense to someone. It's a very metal thing to say. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's very like mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, we were washed in the blood of the Lamb. I don't know, uh, but there are there's internal language that will make more sense to you as you understand the redemptive story that we believe. And that's good, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't feel like, hey, we've accommodated everything the Lord has said in order to make it palatable to a culture, but rather we believe that the Lord has not given us anything mysterious uh, when it comes to the redemption story. And while there are mysteries we don't understand about God, He is not intentionally cryptic. He doesn't give us riddles, and He doesn't try to confuse, but rather He offers us a really clear way of understanding Him and all He's done. So all slang to me is fascinating, and, and we could talk more about the etymology of it. We could talk more about what it tells us about our culture or our digital culture that we're in. I think Christian slang or Christian ease, Christian language, could be something we can walk in unashamed of saying there's going to be some words that might be unfamiliar. If they are, please ask us what, ask us about them, and we'd love to help explain to you why we say the things we do the way we do. And it's fascinating to me how quickly a church environment can start to develop their own language around things, that if you visit another church, it sounds very fresh to you. 
because you're just not used to that kind of language. Even if it's ancient, even if it's 500, 600, 700 year old language, if you're not familiar with it, there's something fresh about it. And it's okay to be fresh, but it's not wrong to use the same language we've been using for 2000 years. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram. Thank you. God bless.